to sell 47 million copies of a book worldwide and be translated into 57 languages and not be about a boy wizard is a pretty impressive accomplishment for an author. And that's what Sam McBretney, who died a few years ago, has done with his children's book, Guess How Much I Love You. The book tells the story of a father and a son hair, big nut brown hair and little nut brown hair, telling each other how much they love each other. One says, I love you as high as I can reach. The other says, I, I love you as high as I can hop. I love you down the lane and as far as the river. I love you across the river and over the hills. One of the phrases that they used to, to quantify how much they loved each other has been used since that book came out by people all over the world to express how much they love one another. To say, I love you with, is that phrase, I love you, right up to the moon and back. Throughout the, two, throughout the book, the two hairs are, are trying to communicate their love for each other is immense. What does that mean? What does it mean that their love for one another is immense? Because love is one of those words, isn't it, where we assume that everyone knows what we're talking about, yet I'm not sure that we do. You see, we use love to mean different things. When we say we love our family or, or our friends, what, what we usually mean is that we have an intense feeling of, of deep affection for them. And if that was the only way in which we use this word love, but I think I'd be okay. But it's not. We say we love music and art, meaning that we enjoy music or art, that it gives us pleasure, or we have a great interest in it. Or we use love to, to basically mean we like or prefer something. So my boys would say they love chips, but don't love courgettes. But by that, I don't think either of them, when they say that we love chips but not courgettes, I don't think they say they mean that they have an intense feeling of deep affection towards a deep fried potato. I don't think that's what they mean when they say that. But I don't think that either of them love chips right up to the moon and back. They just prefer it. Love can be confusing. It can be hard to pin down. Even this idea of an intense, deep affection, I don't think quite captures it to the fullest sense. So what is love? What is love that is truly right up to the moon and back like? Well, when we turn to God's word, we're told that if we want to know what love is, we need to look at Jesus. If we want to know what love is, we need to look at Jesus. And that's what we're going to do here by looking at these verses from John 13. In these verses, what Jesus does is he shows us both what love is and how we can show that this love. And as he does this, there are two things he wants us to understand. Firstly, he wants us to understand this, that to love like Jesus, we need to serve like Jesus. To love like Jesus, we need to serve like Jesus. Look down at verse 12 of John 13. We read, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? Do you understand what I've just done for you? Well, what had he done for his disciples? What, what is it that he wants them to, to understand? 
We'll go back to the start of the chapter, verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We're in Passover time. A time when the Israelites remembered that great rescue of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus knows that his hour has come. By that he meant his death was was now imminent. It won't be long before he'll be hung up on, on a Roman cross, a wooden cross, to die as a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And to reveal the full extent of his love for his disciples, look at what he does, verse 2 to 5. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. Jesus gets up from this meal. Dresses like a servant, pours water into a basin and serves his disciples by washing their feet. This looks wrong, doesn't it? It feels wrong. Surely Jesus, who we know, is the son of God. If we've been reading John's gospel right up to this point, it's abundantly clear who Jesus' identity was. It was was given away in a spoiler right in, in verse one. In the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was God. We know who Jesus is right from the start. We know he is the son of God. And then we find him here in this scene, washing his disciples' feet. It looks wrong. It feels wrong. And Peter gets this. Because look at his response. Verses 6 to the start of verse 8. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you don't realise now. But afterwards, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter says. Peter doesn't want his feet washed by Jesus. But Jesus here is insisting. He replies, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. To which Simon responds by saying, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus told him, one who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus' response here makes it clear that what he was doing was more than washing his disciples' feet. He was teaching them something. So when in verse 12, he sits back and says, do you know what I've done for you? He wasn't expecting the disciples to to respond this way. Oh, Jesus, you just washed our feet. That's that's not what Jesus was getting at. No, if they understood, they would give a different answer to this question. What answer did Jesus want them to give? Well, based on those words in verses 8 to 11, it looks like he, he wants them to understand something about what he was going to do for them when he died on the cross. That his death was the only way for them to be be made clean, to be forgiven of all their sins and made 100% righteous in God's sight. 
But as he served them by humbling himself to wash, to his, humbling himself to his knees to wash their feet, he was going to serve them by humbling himself to death, to wash them clean of all their wickedness and wrongdoing. But he was going to show how much he loved them by laying down his life for them. It seems to be a point he wanted them to grasp. Yet, did you notice that's not where he goes with this? Verses 13 to 15, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do, you should do also, just as I have done for you. Reminding them of who they've recognised him to be, that he is their teacher, one who is able to instruct them in everything, to reveal God's will to them. And Lord, one who has authority to do this. Jesus then explains to them what he wants them to understand, which is that as he has loved them by washing their feet, so they are to love one another by washing each other's feet. That seems to be what he's saying is instruction. Is that, is that what we're meant to, to take from this? But, but, but the big thing we need to know this morning is that foot washing is to be a regular part of church life. That we're all to, to leave um, the Jonas Centre, go back to next Sunday um, to our services and to, to give a grand announcement to, to, to the church, our churches and say, look, from this Sunday on, I've, 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 I've heard a word from the Lord Jesus. He's made it clear to us. Foot, wash, foot washing is part of our services from now on. And we'll be making a rotor, and all of you are on it. And make sure you get the right Sunday. Be there nice and early with your towel, ready to wash everyone's feet as they, they come in. Is that the example Jesus has set for us here? Well, look again at how verse 15 ends. He says, you also should do just as I have done for you. Do as I did for you, not what I did for you. You see, to love like Jesus doesn't mean we wash one another's feet, although there may be times when that is appropriate. There may be cultures where that is a necessity. But rather here, it means we need to serve one another. Like he was serving them by going, by washing their feet and by going to the cross. So we are to to serve one another. Because that is how we love like Jesus. And there are lots of ways in which we can do that. Yet yet, Jesus is not finished in what he has to say. Look down at verse 16. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. And a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Now with, with these words here. Jesus is is really challenging us. He's challenging us about how we serve one another. Yes, he says to to love like him means serving one another. But more than that, he says to love like him means serving one another, serving others in the way he has served others. Specifically to make sure we are not serving in a way that says we are greater than Jesus. Make sure we're not serving one another in a way that says we are greater 
of Jesus. And I, and I think we can do, do this in two ways. I think there are two ways in which we can serve one another that may say that we think we're greater than Jesus. First way is this. We serve one another that says we're greater than Jesus by limiting what service we're willing to do. We, we say that we're greater than Jesus by limiting what service we are willing to do. To be clear, I'm not referring to limiting your service because you are lacking in particular gifts. There are some areas of service which require specific gifting. Not everyone is able to preach or teach. Not everyone is able to play an instrument. Not everyone has the required gifts to lead or to do administration. In fact, there are some people who should never be given administration. And we could go on. I'm also not including here limiting your service because of weakness. I think when we look at our congregations, there are some people who we definitely can't expect to serve in particular ways because of weakness. Maybe old age or disability or sickness or lacking in maturity. You would never ask someone who, like someone who is four foot six, to, to be lifting up the, the, the extremely heavy speakers that are something of like six foot four. You wouldn't ask him to do that. There are things that may prevent you from being able to serve in other ways you wish you were able to. If you are in a church which meets in a hall where you have to pack up and set up every week, if you have big heavy PA equipment. To, to bring in. It may not be wise to ask the 90-year-old man to do that. Even if they're willing to do that, it may be a kindness to say don't. But there is a way of limiting what service we do, which is concern. And that is by having an attitude that says there are certain tasks that are beneath me. We see a need, a need that we can help with, but we refuse to do it because it's unpleasant. Or it means spending time with that person. Or people may actually look differently at us if we were to serve in this way. Now, we may never verbalise, I'm too important to serve in this way. But that's why our attitude is communicated. But here's the thing. When we are unwilling to serve in a particular way or to meet a particular need that we are able to, and we don't. We may not realise it at the time, but what we are saying in that moment is that we are more important than Jesus. Was there a more unpleasant job that Jesus could do than washing clean feet that were dirty with water? Washing sinners who were dirty with his blood? Was there any person that Jesus was unwilling to help who came asking for it? We sing that great hymn, To God Be the Glory, which has, I think, one of the most convicting lines in terms of our attitude. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And we happily sing it. We probably know that line off by heart. In fact, we don't even... Ref- Think about what it's actually saying because it's so familiar to us. But the question is, is belief in that line reflected in the way we serve? Other people we consider off limits for the simple reason that we don't want to associate with them. 
would we be willing to serve a baby killer? Or a murderer? Or an abuser or offender? Or maybe something maybe closer to home? Is there someone, even in your local church, that you consider beneath you? Not worthy of your time, not worthy of your attention, not worthy of your service. Jesus' words here are incredibly challenging. He says, truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. The challenging words. Because it's so easy when it comes to serving one another for us to act as if we are greater than him. Yet to love like Jesus means we need to serve like Jesus. And that means not limiting who or how we are willing to help. Because as soon as we do that, we're not serving like Jesus does. Nor are we loving like Jesus does. We're saying we're greater than him. But there's another way I think we can, we can serve in a way that says we are greater than Jesus. And I think that's this way. By only serving if we are treated in a particular way. By only serving if we are treated in a particular way. So, so we are willing to serve if people notice what we are doing. That they are acknowledging that we are serving others. Or, or maybe more, more than that. They, they celebrate the help with which we give. Telling us how grateful we are. For all that we've done for them. Or, or even better than that. We, we overhear them telling other people how great the service that we do is. But what if, we, what if they don't? What if we never receive anything back from our service? And may, maybe that is your experience. You, you grind away week after week after week serving people and you get nothing back. You don't even go and get a thank you for your service. You don't even get a, oh, I really was blessed by the way in which the music was this morning. You get absolutely nothing. It almost feels like you're giving and giving and giving and no one's noticing what you've done. Or maybe let's take it a step further. What if they actually mistreat us? It's not even that they say, thank you for your sermon. They come and outright criticise you for it. Or it's not that they are grateful for the way in which you, you, um, you played the music and the instruments. They actually came up to you and started criticising you because you picked that song. I can't believe you picked that song written by that author. You played a Bethel song. Sovereign Grace song. I've read Peter Masters. He says they're on the outer bounds list. No. It's, it's, so there's, there's, it's when people mistreat us. And in that moment, well, we keep serving them then. Isn't it tempting to give up serving when people take either our service for granted or they have no appreciation for it? Why bother if it will lead to potentially suffering for doing what is good? But if we do that, aren't we saying in that moment that we're more important than Jesus? Was Jesus' service always acknowledged, always appreciated, always free from suffering? It wasn't. And actually, we're given a reminder of this in the opening part of the chapter. Look at verse 2. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Or verse, verse 11. For he knew who would betray him. 
This is why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus' service would lead to him being betrayed by one of his closest friends. But he didn't give up serving others. Jesus' service would lead to him being put to death on the cross. But he didn't give up serving others. Again, are these words incredibly challenging to us? Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. And a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. It's challenging because when it comes to serving others, it's so easy to act as if we are greater than him. To love like Jesus means we need to serve like Jesus. And that means not giving up when it gets harder, we're treated badly. Now, when we serve like Jesus, not acting as if we are greater than him, but by following his example, what does he say will happen? Look at verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. We will be blessed. Serving like Jesus is the path, Jesus says, to true happiness. And what is this blessing that we enjoy as we serve? Well, I think it's this. It is knowing that God's favour rests upon us. That his, his smile is, is, is upon us. It's having the assurance that we are in a right relationship with him. Knowing that he is watching over us to, to guide and to guard us. It is living an increasingly holy and happy life. But will one day be truly that. And the enjoyment of it will go on forever and ever. Isn't that what we deep down want? Well, it's what those who love like Jesus can have if they are serving like him. But how can we do this? How how can we live in such a way where we do not limit who, who we are willing to help? When we do not limit how we are willing to help? To keep serving when no one notices. To keep doing it when we're taken for granted. To not give up when we are mistreated. Because this kind of service does not come naturally to us. And it isn't easy to do. How can we love others by serving them like Jesus did? That brings us to the second thing Jesus wants us to understand. Secondly, that to love like Jesus, we need to be served by Jesus. To love like Jesus, we need to be served by Jesus. You see, unless we are first served by Jesus, we will never like love like him by serving others like he did. We can't love others by serving them this way until he has first loved us and served us in this way. And he has. Do you know how much Jesus loves us? Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Because we we don't need to guess. And his love is more immense than right to the moon and back. We know how much Jesus loves us by how he has served us. He served us by dying for us. By laying down his life for us. By going to a cross and being made sin as our sin was placed on him. Including that sin of loving, of lacking love for others by refusing to serve certain people and to serve in particular ways. And he takes this punishment that we deserve so that we can be made clean by enduring the wrath of God until we're satisfied. By doing this, Jesus has made us righteous in God's sight. So now God looks upon us 
and sees us as loving as Jesus himself loved. That's how much Jesus loves you. And his love for you is such that you can not only change your future, it can transform your present. As his spirit within you creates in you a love like his that leads you to serving others like he did. To love like Jesus, we need to be served by him. And only then will we be able to serve others like he did. That's what Jesus wants us to understand from his washing of his disciples' feet. That love is being so devoted to another that you give yourself for their good. Because that's what he's done. He served us by giving his life that we might be saved. So that by faith we can hear him say to us, you're clean. Have you been served by him? Are you trusting him to wash you clean of all your wrongdoing? Is that where your hope is this day? Because unless you are, you will never be able to love other people like he did by serving them as he did. Apostle John writes in his letter, first letter, 1 John 3 verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus has given us an example that we should follow. My prayer is that each one of us will follow that example as we go back to our respective churches. And that we will encourage those who are part of our churches to love one another by serving one another as he did. Let me lead us in prayer.